Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I will come quickly. Hold thou fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go, out, go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and, be, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame, and, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. There, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me and in my throne, even as I overcome, overcame, and I sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hope in Christ Church. Church isn't a building, is it? It's the people, and it's good to see you all gathered out here together in this place this morning. Um, so with some sadness, at least on my part, we're coming to the final letter of Christ to his churches. I have, uh, I've really found these letters very enlightening, very convicting, and very encouraging. And uh, praise be to God that he put it in his word for us to study, and he gives us the spirit to guide us and understand us, or help our understanding of these things that he wants us to know. Um, so as we prepare to worship him this morning through the word, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, it tells us it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Father, this morning, by your word, may we clearly see where we are and where you are leading us to go. Father, the word also speaks of Christ being the word, the living word. And Father, may we clearly see him through the written word as we worship you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen in all seven letters many common things, right? They've, all the letters follow some of the same patterns. But another characteristic, I think we've noted, um, you know, each of us, Steve, Ralph, or I, whoever preached through this, has talked a little bit about the background of the city uh, that the church was located in. And I think what you begin to draw some parallels that the characteristics and the issues of these churches are paralleling the culture that they find themselves in. Um, so it serves as a real reminder here, right, that we are the church are called to go out and influence our culture, but at the same time, the culture around us is desiring to have some influence upon us, the church. Right? So it's a two-way street that we need to be aware of. And so we look here at what the culture in Laodicea was like. In many ways, mirrors our American culture. So this could be a very prevalent message for those living in the culture that we live in today. Let's look at Laodicea. In Asia Minor, like all the other churches, they were a city of great wealth. They had no need. There was no want or lack in their streets. They were built on international trade, banking, and commerce. They were known throughout the Roman Empire as a source of innovative medical solutions, including a salve that was said to be able to cure ears and eye issues. We'll hear a little bit more about that salve lately. Let's just say it was purported to have some effect. But they had excellence in uh, the arts of medicine and healing. There were strong influences in their culture, the Greeks of their thinking and of their pagan gods. And they were Roman in the fact that they had a strong central government. So this is the church at Laodicea. And the culture that they were in are reflected in this church. So what does Christ have to say to such a church? Right? These are the letters of Christ to his seven churches. So what does Christ say to the church at Laodicea? He's got three messages for them and three messages for us this morning. The first we find in verses 14 through 17. It's a message of rebuke. The eternal faithful Christ rebukes the lukewarm Laodiceans. The second section this morning will be in 18 through 19. and We'll see Christ's counsel for the cleansing that they need. Christ's counsel for the cleansing that they need. And then the third message that Christ has this morning for them is in verses 20 through 21. And there he gives them his position, his procedures, and his promises. The position, 
the procedure, and the promises he has to the churches. So overall, looking here at Laodicea and Christ's desire to write to them, I guess as a theme for this morning's message, we could say Christ offers his cleansing to a lukewarm church and knocks to enter and lead them to eternal victory. We're going to see this morning that Christ offers cleansing to a lukewarm church and he knocks to enter in and lead them to eternal victory with him. So let's begin in verse number 14. And unto the angel, the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So verse 14, as all the letters do, open with Christ's credentials, right? The first verse of each letter reveals something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that something that it reveals also shows the need that the church that he's speaking to. So here we see three things. Christ's credentials for pronouncing a just judgment on this church at Laodicea. Christ gives his credentials for pronouncing the judgment that he's going to place on this church. The first credential we see, or the first description of Christ, is he is the Amen, capital A-M-E-N, Amen. It's the only place in Scripture that name of Christ is used. It's the only place we see that come to the fore. And I, I think we're all familiar with what an Amen is. We hear some from amongst the church every once in a while here as well. What he's speaking here is Christ is the final word of authority in complete agreement with God. Right? An amen is usually given to an authoritative statement right, that is in concert with the will and the word of God. And so Christ is put forward here as the one, is the final word of authority in complete agreement with God. And he's already described himself as the Alpha and the Omega. So the amen. He is the, he is the end and in control of those things. The second thing we see about Christ is he is the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. The account he's going to give is the truth. He can only speak the truth. He's faithful to the will of God and can only speak the truth. He knows and speaks the full picture to this church at Laodicea. And then finally, the third thing we see about Christ, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now let's not let the wording of the King James here confuse us a little bit, right? God is not created, right? It looks like Christ was there at the beginning of the creation of God, okay? But we know doctrinally God has always existed. He was not created. But what this is saying here is Christ was the active power behind the creation. He was there in the beginning with God. And when God spoke and things needed to happen, Christ was the one who was performing the action. So, we see the power of Christ, his eternal intimacy and obedience to God's will and his work. In fact, John, in his epistle, right, the same John that writes the letter to the Revelation, the Revelation here to us, right, John speaks, in the beginning was the Word, right, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, the same was with God in the beginning. And then John ends saying, Christ repeatedly in the final chapters of Luke, or John says, I came to do your will. I came to do your will, not my will, but yours. So we see here the power of Christ, the eternal intimacy and obedience to God's will. So Christ does have the authority to speak to this church. It's one of the seven golden lampstands that he says he walks in the midst of. 
then these words will be true and in concert completely with God and his will. Looking down to verse 15 and 16. So what is the heart of the matter? What is Christ, the amen, the true and faithful witness? No, I know thy works. He says that to every church. He knows their works. He knows that thou art neither hot, cold, nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Christ knows them. And the issue is immediately brought out. There's no word of commendation here, right? This is condemnation, not commendation. Right? All the other churches, I know your works. Right? And then there was something positive said. Christ has nothing positive. He wants to get to the heart of the matter here this morning. Only a rebuke. And the issue, lukewarm. They are not hot. They are not cold. Other words, tepid, wishy-washy, on the fence, one foot in the world, one foot with God. They fail to choose this day whom they will serve. And Christ then desires to forcibly remove them from his presence. In very graphic terms, right? I will spew or spit you out of my mouth. We do that with something unpleasant, right? That's not something we save for something even mildly offensive, right? But that's like a reaction, right? So that gives an idea of how Christ views this lukewarmness. Now it can come in many forms, right? It's a wishy-washy. It's an on-the-fence. It could be in the form of, I look one thing with one group of people, maybe at church on Sunday, and I look a quite a different thing with this group of people the rest of the week. That could be an example of being lukewarm, of divided between two positions and two decisions. In this case, though, he specifically spells out what the Laodiceans are doing. And there's two concerns that he has here as we look down in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest that you are not wretched, and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So their first issue is one of self-sufficiency. Do you see this here? I have all I need. I am rich. I am increasing. I need nothing. Right? As we look through the thought process that this church is walking through, they are self-sufficient. They believe they have all that they need and they have all their bases covered. They're also, secondly, self-righteous. It goes on to say that they don't know that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They would say, I have all the answers. But they don't know their true state. They don't know they are poor, wretched, blind, and naked before God. Clothed in filthy rags that cannot cover, they still think they're in no need. But isn't this contrary to the Word of God? Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, we are, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Or later on in the book of Mark. He answered and said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, 
Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So here we have a church that set their own standard. They've created in their own estimation how they're going to go about pleasing God. They keep their own rules. And it might look something like this. Thank God I'm a little better than my heathen neighbor that sits over there. And you know, even if I think about it, I'm probably even a little better than a couple of folks in my family. I, I do a better job than, than they do. And you know, I, I'm probably even a little above average in, in, in the congregation here at Laodicea. Self-sufficient. Self-righteous was the issue that Christ was confronting them. And in the end analysis, it made them blind to their true condition. In the eyes of the true and faithful witness, how are they described? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Completely missing the saving grace of God. Stuck in a trap of their own design. So in contrast, what does he desire for them? What would he like them to be? He says, I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, did that come to a surprise to you as you read this week? Cold. I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. I mean, isn't lukewarm at least part of the way there? Right? Aren't, aren't I halfway to hot? Right? But think about it, right? Nobody likes a lukewarm bowl of soup. Right? You want cold salad, not lukewarm salad. You want hot soup, not lukewarm soup. Right? Christ is going to focus in in here on what is the issue with being lukewarm. So let's look at hot. Right? So I think we could agree hot would be completely committed to God and his word, humbly accepting the gospel and living consistently according to it. Right? One who is hot will understand the word, understand the grace that God's given him, and live a life that's consistent with that. Titus 3.5 would mark this person's life. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. He saved me. How about the cold person? All right. Let's go to the opposite extreme, right? Completely opposed to God. Has no need for God. Rejects God and his word. But you know what? They reject the gospel, and they live consistently to that rejection of the gospel. They do exactly what you would expect a cold person to do. So Christ hates the lukewarm, self-sufficient, self-righteous, more than those cold in complete open rebellion to him. When someone claims to be a believer and then lives like the world, it distorts and marginalizes the gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. It's an inconsistence. It's an inconsistent position. It's claiming one thing and doing another. And that affects the gospel. The other point is Christ can better reach the cold and convince them of their need than the lukewarm. Right? The cold's going to be aware of their need. Right? When Christ speaks to them, they're going to be aware that they're in need. But the lukewarm, we already see. They don't correctly see their position. They're unreachable. They're impenetrable because they think they're rich. They think they're in good condition. The hot, of course, are warriors for God, following his lead on to victory. The lukewarm we find here indifferent to the true religion 
to the true holiness of the word. Their yardstick is self or comparison to others. Their yardstick is not the living word of God. They don't measure here. They measure somewhere out there. So considering that this morning, I want to ask the church here at Hope in Christ, since this letter is also written to us, how do you view yourself this morning? What's your temperature? If we were to gauge temperature this morning, what's the temperature? Or more importantly, how does the amen, the true and faithful witness, Christ, view your temperature this morning? So here we have a church, lukewarm, one that Christ desires to, would spew out of his mouth, right? Desire a quick and rapid separation from. But praise be to God that that's not the position Christ moves forward as we look at the second section of the solution to lukewarmness. In verses 18 and 19, Christ comes to this church and offers them a solution to the problem of lukewarmness. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou might be rich, and white raiment that thou might be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Christ provides the cleansing needed to move from sinful lukewarmness to full-heated devotion to him. By God's gracious act and through Christ's sacrifice, the gospel does provide all we need to live right and true before God. Christ does not abandon his church. This is one of the seven churches, right? Even though he had nothing good to say for them up front, he won't leave them. He won't abandon them. He won't leave us. He won't abandon us. He offers three ways to be a help to them, to move them from lukewarm, to turn the temperature up, and move them to hot. First, he provides cleansing and purification. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou may be rich. So you think of the verse in Malachi 3.3 where he says, and he, he, speaking of Christ, shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Christ offers them the refining and the cleansing that they need to move away from lukewarm. There's a second thing he provides them. He says later on in that same verse, and white raiment, that thou may be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. Christ brings them clothing to cover the shame of their sin that they're participating in here, causing their lukewarmness. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, 
as the bride adorns herself with her jewels. So Jesus comes to this church in need of covering. Right? We saw they were poor and naked in their sinfulness. He provides them the covering of his righteousness from his sacrifice on their behalf. He does not desert them. So he offers them cleansing and purification. He provides them the covering of righteousness for their sin. And then third, we come back to the eye salve. He says, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He gives them the word of God to clearly see the world in their condition. That's what this eye salve back then was for. If someone was having an eyesight problem, they'd put it on and it would help them allegedly to see more clearly. But here, he provides them with what they need. A call to return to the word and have their eyes opened. As David says in the Psalms, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereon according to your word. So Christ comes to the lukewarm church in his counsel is to come by of me. Come for cleansing and purification. Come for righteousness. Come for guidance and direction and cleansing through the word of God. Christ's counsel, again, is to buy of him. He is the only source of these needs. There's nowhere else they can go to find what they need to move. Now, we want to be careful, though. This is where we'll talk about context because this verse lifted out could make it look like they actually have something to offer, right? It says, to buy of me. Right? That would imply that in some way, they could come to Christ and offer him something and get something in exchange. That would sound a little bit like my works, right, could move me forward somehow and earn favor with Jesus. And we know on the balance of the Bible, that's not the position. So what is this talking about there? What does it mean by? In this case, we know that they have nothing they can buy with. They've just been described in the previous verse as blind, poor, wretched beggars. They can't go into a marketplace and buy gold and fine raiment and the expensive eye salve with healing properties. They have nothing of worth to offer on the merit of their works. So what buy means in this context is to enter into a marketplace. When you look at the meaning of buy, it says to enter into the marketplace so what he's doing is saying, come to me. Come to where I am. Come to the marketplace where I sit. And then be given these things by Christ. They're gifts that he gives us. We have nothing to buy them with, just like they have nothing to buy them with. So moving on in verse 19. To these lukewarm folks, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So even to this lukewarm church, Christ offers his love to them. But it's in a different form, right? It's in one of rebuke, of correction, and chastening. This would be in concert with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 11. Turn there. Let's take a look at this chastening, this loving chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children, my son. Despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when, there, when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof you are all partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for their few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who are exercised by it. Christ offers a purposeful chastisement to bring these wayward folks back to God's gift of repentance. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at that gift of repentance in 2 Timothy 2.25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance is a gift that God desires to give to us. The chastening that he places on our lives is to lead us and direct us and guide us to that repentance. So let's be in concert with what Christ told this church to do. And that's be zealous, therefore, and repent. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't sweep it under the rug. When Christ's chastening comes, and you become aware of what that chastening is for in your life, run to him, not from him, and come in repentance. You know, the similarities in these churches. Repentance is called for in every church that is strayed or sinned in some ways in these seven letters. It's critical. It's absolutely vital to a close, rightly relationship with God and with Christ, the Amen, faithful and true, eternal King. Do not neglect, neglect repentance. So a church must be refined by God. It must be covered by the robe of Christ's righteousness. And then the word is the guide to clearly see ourselves, our needs, and Christ's sufficiency to meet those needs. You know, the good news of the gospel isn't just for getting past the toll gate of salvation. Right? The good news of the gospel is to remind us of where to go and what to do and where our strength really lies, which is in Jesus Christ. So as we look at Christ's solution that he offers to lukewarmness, let me ask, how and where are you entering into his marketplace? How and where are you entering into his marketplace? Through his word? Through prayer? What robe are you wearing this morning? What are you clothed in? Will you put on the eye salve and take a good close look at what robe you're standing in this morning? How do you view and react to God's chastisement when it comes? What's your reaction? Does it lead you to his gift of repentance? Is that the work it's having for you? So Christ has spoken two messages, the need to eliminate lukewarmness and the solution to it. Now he's got a third message to speak to this church, 
before he closes his letter to them and his letter to the seven churches. We see that in verse 20 to 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. There's three things here. Christ has a position, a procedure, and a promise in this final section. First, where is he positioned? He's standing at the door. He's standing at the door. Now, this is a very familiar verse, right? We actually come across two very familiar verses in this section. The whole lukewarm spew out of your mouth. That's a fairly familiar one that we know. And often we hear this verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And often it's used in the context of soul winning. Right, that Christ is standing at the door and knocking. Placing it in context in this letter, Christ is not standing and knocking at the door of one for salvation. He is standing and knocking at the door of the hearts of the people of his church and calling them to repentance. Right? He's just given them the three gifts. He's just called them to repentance. And now he's saying, will you accept the gift? Will you repent? Will you be clean before me? We must then respond with repentance. And when that, recur- when that occurs, we'll see he, and he does not force that upon us, he can enter and dine in. Because see his procedure, right? I knock at the door. He doesn't say I knock down the door. Right? He doesn't say, I'm coming in. I mean, he's desiring. I think the knock is pretty insistent at some times. Right? If some of you have been under God's chastisement or some way he's trying to get your attention, he can knock hard. He can knock loud that we know that he's there. But in the end, he's not going to force his way in. Right? Our part is to respond in repentance, to open the door. We simply have to open the door for him to be able to walk in. But he cannot come in into the house as clean. Right? What fellowship can darkness and light have together? So it requires our repentance. And then his procedure is to come in and make himself at home. Right? What a better way to have fellowship with somebody. We all enjoy it, right? To sit around a meal table and enjoy just that length of time of visiting right after a good meal and the opportunity that it provides. And that's what Christ would like to do. He'd like to come into a clean house, a clean heart, and sit down and be with us for a spell. He not only wants to be with us for a little while, come in and sup and have a meal. He desires to be with us for all eternity. And we look in verse 21, his closing promise. To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father on his throne. He will bring the faithful overcomer. You know, we've come across this word overcomer seven times now. And I want to take one last opportunity to remind you, the overcomer is not the super Christian. The overcomer is not the one that becomes sinless. The overcomer is not the one that always exactly does what God wants to do them to do. 
The overcomer is the faithful believer. The one who's placed his faith completely and wholly in the blood of Jesus Christ for his cleansing. And walks only robed in the righteousness of Christ. Knows his true condition. And is willing to repent when Christ calls him there. That's the overcomer. That's the one Christ is looking for. Is a true, genuine, hot believer. And what's his promise to them? Christ, the fulfillment of the covenant of David, of an endless kingdom, is seated with God. He has sat down on the right hand of God, completing his work here on earth. He overcame and conquered trials and temptations that we all face while he was here on the earth. And now he makes us the promise, we can conquer because we are in him. Not in our own strength but in the victory that he's won. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And being free from that combination allows us to sit in the presence of God in his throne room with Christ for all eternity because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So where is Christ knocking? What door is he knocking at? Is he knocking at the door of Hope in Christ Church? Is he knocking at the door of your heart, believer? Will you allow him in? Will you take his gift of repentance, be cleansed, and allow him in and enjoy dining with him? And are you looking to heaven? while you walk here on the earth to help you overcome the things you need to overcome. There's a sure promise coming. Can we walk in that promise with confidence? Verse 22 brings us to the close of the seven letters to the seven churches. A familiar closing. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says under the churches. But this reminds us, these seven letters were not just for each individual church. Right? It wasn't, there's the letter for one, there's the letter for another, there's a letter for a third. They weren't even a letter for a point in time for this particular group of churches, just to share among themselves. They are for those who will have an ear. They've been placed in scripture for all believers for all time to have an ear. These words are here for all churches and all believers to have an ear. 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us, Judgment begins at the house of God. What shall be the end of those that do not obey the gospel of Christ? Judgment does begin in his churches. It's where God desires to do his cleansing work. And then our response affects the gospel message and how effectively it goes out to a perishing world. So in summary, a brief look at each of the seven churches. We started in Ephesus, a church of great service and works for God. But they were warned that they were in danger of leaving their first love, Jesus Christ, and his gospel. Then we journeyed to Smyrna, 
A church that persevered and did not fear in suffering. But they were told to keep seeking God's approval. We went to Pergamos, a church that was keeping the faith. But idolatry and immorality and error were being present in the church. We moved on to Thyatira, a church commended for its loving service. But now the idolatry, immorality, and error were present in the church and active. And there was talk of a remnant. We went on to Sardis, a church that was warned against spiritual deadness and a compromise with sin. Followed by, last week, Philadelphia, a church that remained faithful to the word, that knew they were weak in themselves, but they were strong in Christ, provided an open door of service, and encouraged to hold fast. And then today we visited lukewarm Laodicea. As we reflect on all seven letters, we see a verification that Christ is aware of the situation in every church. He's not caught unaware by any of these things. We see his care for these seven churches. We see his sufficiency to meet every need that these churches have. We see his desire for their repentance. And finally, we see an enduring promise of the reward of eternal life with him in heaven. So as we close the book on the seven letters to the chapters, will you have an ear to hear? Will you act on what you have heard as Christ has spoken to his churches? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is aware of every situation we find ourselves in. He's aware of the culture we live in. He's aware of the family that he's placed us in. He is aware of all things. Father, we thank you for his constant care. We thank you that um, his awareness is so that he can be there. Father, we're thankful that he is sufficient to meet every need that we would have. Father, oh, that we would turn to him through your word and through the leading of the Spirit when those needs arise. Father, we thank you that you desire us to be repentant people with a clean heart that when Christ knocks at the door, the door can open and he can come in and dwell with us and lead and guide and direct us. And Father, we thank you that we have eternal life because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, you are a great and mighty God. You are also the good, loving, and caring God. We thank you for your word. May it lead us, guide us, direct us. And Father, may it always cause us to see Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.
would stand and turn in your hymnals. Page 371.